Back in the 70s, board games and improv theater had a baby, and it was called the role-playing game. These games allowed a generation of kids to live out their dreams of slaying dragons and saving kingdoms, all while sitting in their bedrooms and basements. Today, gaming has moved into the cultural mainstream, and role-playing games are back with a vengeance. Join us now as five of these former kids come out of the basement and onto the internet to experience adventure, mystery, and obscure pop culture references. It's time for Roll for Combat. Hey there, welcome to Roll for Combat. I'm your GM and host, Steven Glicker. And this is a really crazy episode, so I'm going to get right to it as fast as possible. In the beginning, we have our normal episode where we just pick up where we last left off last week and play Dead Sons. The second part of the show, we sit down and review the new Starfinder book that comes out from Paizo this week, Alien Archive. This is the first big book that comes out actually since the rule set from Paizo. And Jason did a fantastic review on the website last week if you want to check that out. Today, myself, Jason, and John sit down and talk about the book, each of us from a different point of view. Jason from a player's point of view, myself from a GM's point of view, and John being an actual professional game designer for Blizzard from his point of view. And all of us have these different insights in how this book can help you. And it's pretty fascinating. It's about an hour long. If you plan on buying this book, I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Even if you're not planning on buying the book, I think it's a fairly good book. If you just even like science fiction, there's a lot of cool things in this. And if you're interested in game development, there's even a fair amount in the book to explain to you balance and how game development works. It's a fantastic book overall without giving away a review, but check that out. And then finally, at the end of the show, we have another winner for the $1,000 podcast giveaway, where all you have to do is review the show, and if I randomly select your name, you win this week $25 Amazon gift card, and then in the beginning of December, you're going to win a up to $250 gift card and a Roll for Combat t-shirt. Plus, every single person who enters is going to get something for free. So with that, I just wanted to talk about this week's episode real quick. So this is an episode where there's a lot of exposition and we get into the story. So one thing about the Dead Sons Adventure Path is that they explain, they sort of give you about one or two pages and say, here is the story and you figure out how you want to get this information to your players. It's very open-ended in the adventure path. I've heard some people who spend days, if not multiple sessions, drawing it out, making it very complex where they can figure this out. And there's one thing is I know my players, and they like to get into the combat quickly. I didn't feel it was necessary for us to spend three episodes going into the story, I kind of get it all out in this episode fairly quickly, and that's just a personal style of mine. I know how my players like to play, and I also do my shows kind of like how David Eddings would write his books. I'm sure most of you have read The Belgariad, and he would write his books in the same way. He would always have a chapter of exposition, he would have a chapter where people traveled, and then he'd have a chapter where people fought, and he would just keep doing that over and over again. And those are great books. So we kind of do the same thing. I have travel, exposition, fight. Travel, exposition, fight. 
and you're going to see that. Like, I keep it moving. So my guys don't like to spend hours trying to figure out what's going on. So we just wrap it up pretty quick. They like to know the story. I give them easy ways to get the story. We outline it. And also, from a GM's point of view, how many times I've played these adventures, and they don't know what's going on. And it's not fun for me if they don't know what's going on and why things are occurring. They're just killing without realizing why. So I like to actually get out the story and have them understand what's going on. And then they can do crazy stuff and sort of go into their own tangents whenever. So I don't want to talk too much more about that. Let's get into the story. Once again, check out the review after the show. Check out who wins. If you're the winner, you have to contact us. And don't forget, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Discord. A whole bunch of other places. And if you like the show, write a review. It really means a lot. And I will talk to you guys a little later. On to the show. So we are back. You guys managed to elude the cops last week and managed to not only elude them, but actually got free medical healing. And they even turned another cheek while you guys managed to steal from the gangsters, which I guess is a good thing. I don't know. And then you met with Shizex, who put you on the trail to solve the murder of Daryl Creel. And then you guys all checked in to the Moons of Sleep Hotel. Now what? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Chris Beamer is playing the Lashunta operative, Hiroji. Uh, I mean, you said there was something on the pad about a cousin. Yes, you have a data pad. And on the data pad, you found out a bit about Daryl Creel on your way to the Starfinder Society headquarters. Um, but you didn't have enough time to really go through everything. So maybe we should like do a thorough search of that first. That'll be something for uh, you engineers to do while I catch a little shut eye. <laughs> John Stats is playing the Vesk soldier, Mo Dupinski. I think I hurt my elbow on one of those uh, downward swings with my hammer. Uh, I gotta clean my hammer a little bit. It's like 11 a.m. It's 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 early. Well, you didn't have lunch we're yet. We're also jet lagged. We've been yeah. on a shuttle for a while, you know. And naps are good. Well, I was thinking actually, I wouldn't mind wandering around the neighborhood and maybe doing seeing if I could find out some information, i.e., gathering information. Bob Marquis is playing the human envoy, Rusty Carter. Sure, you can definitely do that. So what do so? Let's see. Mo is going to take a nap because he's lazy. Rusty is going to go gather some info. What is Tuttle and Haruji going to do? Uh, I think we're going to work on the data pad. So you guys yeah, I'm can, okay with that. Okay, you guys can just do a computer check and spend some more time on the pad if you want. I will, I'll familiarize um, Tuttle with like some of my skills. Like I've got a lot of skills. Like I'm pretty, like, I, I'm sort of a jack of all trades. I, I, I dabble in engineering even. I dabble in computers. I know how to pilot. I'm pretty good at piloting, actually. I'm good at tracking things and people, and I'm good at the occasional lie. What's your uh, piloting skill? Piloting skill is eight. That's pretty good. Well, we're not going to need that. I'm already a pilot. But my best, the thing I'm best at is remaining unseen. You wouldn't know that from our last encounter, but. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's fire. Yeah, my, 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 my antennae were on fire. You're replacing along with my clothes and running around, well. <laughs> screaming like a banshee. <laughs> I'm a little rusty. 
So, anyways, yeah. So we can. I want. I'm, I think maybe the uh, if we can track down this cousin, if there's like a name and a location, maybe then we can. That's a good place to start. Maybe. All right. So why don't you just give me a computer's check, you guys, and we'll do you first to see what other information you can extract from the pad. This is your. This is your All right. Yep. Job. This is my thing. Jason McDonald is playing the Soki mechanic Tuttle Blacktail, and his drone Cheddar. Twenty-five. Yeah, it's real easy because uh, this guy was, uh, he wasn't exactly the sharpest when it came to computer skills. As I said last time, Dorval Creel was a mid ranking member of Starfinder Society. It looks like he also was an outspoken champion of miners' rights. You find out a few more interesting items that you didn't see last time. It turns out that he appears to be very outspoken with a company called Astral Extractions. And that he seemed to have invested money in something called the Hard Scrabble Collective, and it looks like his his cousin Dara Dara Creel was a member of Hard Scrabble, and she died in a mining accident that was the result of safety violations perpetrated by her contract employer at the time, which was Astral Extractions. So she worked for what's what is this Hard Scrabble? What is that? The Hard Scrabble Collective is a mining group in the diaspora. They're like a union. Yeah, they're like a miners' union, and they appear to be real blue collar. He's a member of them, and there's a very large corporation called Astral Extractions, and it looks like his cousin was killed um, due to safety violations. He seems to have been kind of obsessed by it. There's a lot of information on his data pad about this, and there's like whole folders with news articles every piece of information it looks like he was doing kind of his own little investigation to uh see if he could what you could probably guess is almost like build a case against them yeah it seems very clear that you know he's probably made he probably made a lot of trouble for this company or was about to and they wanted he figured he'd be better if he was out of the way i'm guessing i mean i don't know much about astral extractions but you know a lot of these big corporations all they care about is their money. They're in business with gangs, is what you're saying? Yes, that's what I'm saying. I think we should. Can we use our computer skills? Like, how, like, are there computer terminals in our in our suites and things like that? Like, can you go? Yeah, yeah. You can totally space Google out anything you want. Can we space Google like uh, astral extractions and see what yep. see what their history is? Yep. If you just want, you could literally take a twenty if you're gonna like space Google things. But if you want to find the real meat and bones, you might need to actually do a little bit more. So well, my, it's up to you. my 20 is a 26, but... Well, that's actually true. It's a cultural skill to find uh, out uh, well, information about astral Actually, I'm good at that, too. That's a 26. All right, so you take a 20 and you get a 26. Do you want to roll or do you just want to take a 20? I guess that's, I the, that's all you can get. Yeah, yeah that's actually... That's the highest. <laughs> do you want to roll or get the highest amount you can <laughs> get? I think I'll, I'll take roll. the highest amount. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty easy. You find out astral extractions. You find a tons of stuff. They're a powerful mining conglomerate with business ties throughout the pack worlds. Most of the company's operations are centered in the uh, diaspora, in the rocky moons of the outer planets. They've also begun sending scout vessels into the vast in search of new claims. Company appears to have recently hired one of Hard Scrabble Collective ships, the Acheron, for one of these uh, missions. Looks like the public face of Astral Extractions is that is an ethical and respectable corporation. But, of course, you have seen and through your digging, there are some uh, people who are not so thrilled with Astral Extractions say that the company uses hired muscle 
corporate mercenaries, strike breakers, and you know, even criminal elements as yeah, proxies to intimidate and threaten those who stand their way. You know, you don't know if that's true or not, but you know, there are rumors of that. Those all seem to be adding up, though. And um, following the arrival of Dacaron, Astral Extraction secretly hired a violent uh, street gang to coerce the Hardscrabble Collective into abandoning its claim on the Acheron and the Drift Rock. Now, again, this is like stuff you're reading like in chat boards and messages uh, after spending, you know, a couple of hours sort of like pouring into, you know, the various chat logs and stuff. So you don't know if this is true or not, but from what you've been reading, there's a lot of information about this Acheron and astral extractions and hard scrabble and there's just there's actually so much information it's starting to get a little too little crazy but it seems like there's definitely some weirdness stuff going on with this company yeah that's that is interesting we don't have any proof or anything but it does seem like this seems these are all rumors and speculation i think we, i think we need to make i think we need to wake up mo and go to the puddle and maybe bash a few heads get some information that way from an actual downside king so what is Rusty doing? Uh, remember, I was going to wander around and do gather information checks using my diplomacy. Mainly what I want to know is the location of both of the gangs. You would need diplomacy yep. or intimidate or culture. In this case, diplomacy is my better of those three. So give me a diplomacy check as you wander around. Uh, you rolled a two. You got a ten. Yeah, I understand. Okay. So the very first one you find out the level 21 crew is a street gang. As you probably heard, they are part of the level 21 of Absalon Station CD Lower Decks. Their known criminal endeavors are things like theft, fencing, stolen goods, gambling, prostitution, racketeering, smuggling. It's not too bad. Okay. You can do another check. Check number two. 18. 18. Much better. You find out a little bit more this time. And you sort of like hang out at some bars, grease a few palms, and find out that the level 21 crew may be a criminal gang, but the reputation in their territory is actually very good. They promote community empowerment. Residents tolerate or endorse their activities. The gang has also been known to hire itself out to defend, marginalize and threaten groups of factions. And you also know that there's this grizzled Yusoki named Jabrox, who currently leads the level 21 crew. Jabrox is their leader? Jabrox, yep. Okay. I think I missed where you mentioned about uh, the downside kings. I'm sorry. Uh, you can do one at a time. Okay. So um, if you want to do downside kings, you can do them next if you want. Okay, let me do another check. I'm going to try and find out about the downside kings. 23. Downside kings are a little easier to find out about, surprisingly, because they're so violent. They're pretty notorious. As you said, they're real brutal street gang. They're in the lower section or the downside. They are known to do tons of illegal activities, arm trafficking and kidnapping, murder for hire. They're really nasty. They do slave trading. They are bad dudes. Turnover on the king's leadership is really high, but the gang's current boss is a barbarous human woman named Frenzy Nazix. And you also heard through the grapevine that Astral Extractions recruited them to threaten the Hard Scrabble Collective and pressure the miners into handing over the Acheron and the Drift Rock 
to the company without dispute. I'll get to that in a second. You also found out that the downside kings are known to use a nightclub called the Fusion Queen as a front for their illegal activities. The downside king's current leader is a woman named Frenzy Nazix. Rumor is that Astral Extractions has recently hired them or is using them to enforce their uh, their illegal activities. And their HQ is a nightclub called the Fusion Queen. That sounds about right. Uh, in addition, this Drift Rock, you actually have been hearing quite a bit about this. This actually has been kind of on, on the news. It seems, and this actually was back in episode one. You guys had to wait a little bit longer. Uh, there's literally thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of ships always surrounding the station at all times. So having some information about one specific ship is pretty rare. It seems like there's a there's been a lot of rumors, but it sounds like this ship called the Acheron, which sounds like it was owned by the hard scrabble crew but the astral extractions hired them to like go do some exploration and all you know is that the ship came back carrying some gigantic rock with it it's been quarantined and rumors are that everyone on the ship is dead and it's now under legal dispute as to who owns it okay probably have like another hour i would say before you want to regroup with your buddies if you want to do another role on well anything you can do right anything you well want. now i'm intrigued by the giant rock on the acheron eh, i didn't get enough about uh, the 21 crew hold on yeah all right level 21 crew i'll try and get a little better 27 all right that's a good one you find out even more information you find out that fearing retribution from powerful corporate interests the Hard Scrabble Collective has recently hired the Level 21 crew as protection. They seem to actually fall into that category of helping out the little guy. The Hard Scrabble crew definitely is sort of blue collar, and it sounds like the Level 21 was hired to protect members of Hard Scrabble with this nasty dispute going on between them and Astral Extractions. It's, that seems, yeah, that seems pretty. Everything seems to fit. Right. All right, very cool. I go back and I get a nice coffee at the hotel uh, cafe. Starbucks? Uh, no, it's Pathbucks. <laughs> Wait, no. Wow. Wow. Wow, that actually was good. That was good, Bob. <laughs> no one else got it. Does he, does he get a credit out of the, out of the Pathfinder, Starfinder, Swear Jar? Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. I, I got a freebie later. Uh, what does Mo do? Let's wake up Mo. Mo is sleeping, so... Let's wake up Mo and go to the common room and, and the, compare the notes. The covers are all over the place. The the bed is a complete disarray. The tail is hanging off the bed. Mo's made a mess of the uh, the suite. Uh oh. Why are you sharing a room with a vesk? Do you know and the stink, the stench, which must be horrendous. Uh, I smelled far worse on my own home world. So <laughs> I, I've hunted far nastier things. You're going to have to go get some, like, uh, scented candles or something. You, you think that's the bad room? My room has has mice in it. Oh, Jesus. You need a uh, you, you need a trap for your, your hotel room. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> you need to build a better mouse trap. <laughs> so, Mo looks at the time. I, I assume three hours have gone by. Is that correct? Four hours. Four hours? Okay. Left. 
He says, well, it looks like we missed our self-imposed uh, deadline. Uh... Yes, but while you're sleeping, we found out, uh, Tuttle and I found out some very interesting things oh. about this uh, astral extractions, and uh, they may not be as nice as you would think. I mean, they uh, seem to have a, an issue with this hard scrabble union. It's quite possible that they hired uh, the downside kings to, to take care of a problem. Uh, yeah. And it looks like, you know, that there's, I don't know how the uh, 21 crew plays into all this, but from what we can understand, it seems very clear that this guy was causing some issues. He's part of the Hard Scrabble Collective. They don't like the Hard Scrabble Collective. They have legal disputes. And uh, he was probably eliminated from being a troublemaker. So that was a hit that we witnessed. Yeah. Oh, that makes me better. Assassins are. Uh... Assassins are fun to kill. You just have free license to take them out. So now the 21, the level 21 crew, were actually trying to protect him, though. And so I don't know if that puts them on our side or not. Didn't seem like they were protecting them very well. I mean, it's they, they didn't seem very chatty. I tried to uh, open up a line of communications when I was hanging behind the, uh, uh, the other side of the barracker, and they... Well, I guess they thought we were just part of the crowd. Maybe yeah. it has nothing to do with us. I, I assumed everything was about us. So, uh, no, I think it, I think this was a clearly a, a hit. And uh, that being the case, the villains here are the downside kings. Um, I think we should relay. I think we should call up uh, Chessix and let him know what we have so far. That makes sense. All right, so I pull out my communicator. Is that what you woke me up to do? Well, we're probably going to head somewhere soon. but Okay. So I, I, I relay all this to Chessex and so let him know that, uh, you know, what we've discovered here. And it looks looks clear that there is, this was the issue. Uh, when you call him, could you ask if he knows anything about a ship called the Ekaron? Yes. But don't call him he... Yeah, right. sorry. Could you ask it what uh, what it knows? Them. I asked them. They. I asked they. I asked they. Uh, you give him a call. So now I did it. You give them a call. It is. It's hard. The third pronoun. They listen. Say that is very interesting. That does fall into place. Although I am surprised that a hit was taken out on Doraval. I will need more proof than just rumor and speculation and internet chat rooms. I would suggest that you maybe go to Durable's apartment and see what you can find there. I'm sure you can let yourselves in with his data pad. And he sends you the address where Durable lives. Ah, excellent. Wonderful. I say let's go there now before the police get there. Mo thanks the indicative plural neuter um, for the job and we go on. You should just call it Chessex. See, now we find out we have a perfectly good apartment we could stay in instead of paying 50 credits for a hotel. <laughs> so are you going to go to um, Doraville's apartment? Oh yes, of course. Yeah, let's go look for some clues. <laughs> Alright, so we should get this clear. Uh, first through the door should be the rat, right? I'd be happy to send Cheddar through the door first. It's kind of what he's designed for. Or we could send the walking suitcase. That's the other option. I think that actually is right, yeah. And in case he dies, we all get new boots. That's what I'm here for. Find the area of where Dorval lives 
and it is actually kind of a rundown area. It's not exactly, you know, it's definitely like where the blue collar members of the station live. It's not exactly the nicest part, but it's not the worst part. It's just definitely blue collar. It's kind of a strange area. It looks like this is almost like common housing, almost like the YMCA or something where there's sort of like common bathrooms and sort of like common kitchen areas and things like that. He definitely was living on the cheap and you can find his room and go from there. So you can see like there's hallways, there's doorways. Oh, there are. You know, it looks yeah. like a dormitory and it looks like, you know, each of these rooms are actually pretty small. So you can see you're basically in north of you is the doorway to uh, Dorval's accommodations. Up there where we are? Yeah. Exactly. It's right in front. Very narrow hallways. Mo is standing right in front of the door. Probably need a computer check if you want to try to like... All right. I mean, I can go stealthily and, you know, try and surprise anything that's in there. You guys want to come up here and watch? Uh, all right. I'm going to move out of the way. Uh, I'm going to say um, in normal speaking voice, so are we just going to grab whoever's in here and beat them up? <laughs> I will use my mental telepathy and say, shh, yes. Am I allowed to reply mentally? Yes. Oh, really? Oh. Okay, I've stealthed. I came up with a, I, there's no, there's no seem to be rules. And I actually even asked the uh, Starfinder developers what the rule is in the telepathy. They didn't get back to me yet. So it's clear. It's very, it's a dialogue. It's where we're going. We don't need rules. Yeah. It was funny. Well, there's huge articles on the uh, forums about this. I'm making the ruling that you are correct, Chris. I think of it like um, the Flash Gordon telepathy when they were talking to uh, Princess and uh, where you can sort of, once you once you open up the line of communication, that yeah. you can talk yeah, both I mean, ways. I, he can't initiate it, but um, if it's open, we can talk back and forth. Exactly. So you have to initiate it. And once it's initiated, you can talk both ways. But they can't do anything. They can't, like, contact right. you but you can talk to them. So I'm going to say that that's how it's going to work. Oh, wait, Hirogi, you're in front of the door that we were going into? Yeah, I was going to try and be stealthful. Oh, I I thought this was a door. I was about to open this thing up and just... Well, someone with computers is going to have to actually try to open this door. I mean, you could try to beat the crap out of it. That's what I was going to do. (laughs) Oh, it's... it's, No, no, the the one that Moe's in front of. It's made out like the door steel. Remember from uh, the Iron Gods? It's all that type of steel. Like, you you ain't getting through this stuff. I mean, you're going to need, like, uh, acetylene torches and well, stuff. Well, I don't want to be, I don't want to get liable for damages, easy. so let me try computers first. Yes, yeah, so, Hiroji, you want to be to the, the left of me. Well, realistically, what we need is Tuttle to open the door. Yeah, or somebody needs to be in front of the uh, door. Which door is it? I'll take care of it. The space to the left of me. To get the door ready to, I'm ready, ready to, uh, willing to unlock the door, but I don't know when I actually be the one to open it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll try first. That makes sense. Totally reasonable. Whoever wants I, to go I first. try to unlock it with my computer skill. You try to unlock it with your computer skill. You're lucky the alarm didn't go off. Good job with your 15 roll. That was not enough. Get out of the way. Let the professionals Uh-oh. do it. Ooh, ouch! And the alarm does go off with an 11. Woo! The alarm does go off, and you're like, beep, 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 beep. You're like, oh, that that ain't good. Can I try that can again? Turn that off. Uh, sure. Yeah, can you turn the alarm off? How's that? There you go. Okay, you, you get a 21. 
The good news is, in this part of the... Uh, oh, the, oh, it was the blue wire. I'm sorry. Hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, in this part of the spire, like, it's not that big a deal. It's like a car alarm. Like, people are kind of ignoring it for a little while, at least. You managed to disable the alarm. Now, do you want to uh, try to open the door? Why don't we take a 10 or something? I'm willing to, like... Can't take a 10 because it's bad things. Uh, okay. All right, here. I'll try opening the door. Computers again? Yeah, computers again. Oh, oh my God. God. You better, you better let me try. Let me see. Uh, I stealthed at a 24. I want that on the record. That, that might be critical. Hold on. Okay, I'm actually going to say that you you try to cross the wires. So you turn off the alarm, but you take four points of electrical damage. Yes. If you're like, ah, shocking. All right, you want me to assist you? This is this is starting off quite well. You can't even open a door. Want to try again? I will assist. Sure. Right, so you get a, you're going to get a plus two to your next roll. Is that right? That is correct. I just have to hit a 10. Yeah, that's correct. All right. Fire in the hole. 25. Now we're talking. Finally. You're like, all right. I set off the alarm. Between the two of us, we could. I got a little shocked, but I got it open. Sixth time is the key. Well, as, as an upstanding member of the academic community, I'm not used to actually breaking into people's apartments. So, you know, this is all kind of new to me. Oh, wait, we had the pad. We could just walk in. <laughs> is that true or no? Maybe. Yeah, the pad might huh. be. I think you said the pad was the key. That so. was very <laughs> funny. <laughs> oh, well. All right, we need the practice. Yeah, we need to practice our skills. Yeah, right. This is our breaching skills. Uh, yeah, we're a new team. We're, we haven't played together yet. That's a good point. Hudson, run a bypass. Yeah, anyhow, um, you managed to have the door unlocked. Who's opening the door? Mr. Mouse, do you want to do the honors? Uh, Mouse, this is oh, definitely yeah. not my job. Right. I mean, someone's standing behind there with a bazooka. So. Who's now been wet, alerted to the fact that someone's coming in. So. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be a surprise, really. Okay, breach, so breach, breach. The simplicity of Wait, our plan. Just where did Rusty go? Just, uh, I, I stealthed. I, I rolled a 24. You have no idea where I am right now. So Mo is going to be yelling, Rusty, where are you? Rusty. Rusty, where uh, are I'm you? I'm around. Don't worry about it. All right. Well, so just to reiterate, is our plan to grab whoever's in there and beat the heck out if of them? If there's someone in there, I don't. This should be. Happening. We are investigating his apartment, or we're looking for clues. Yeah. All right. I'm well, expecting a empty room, but you never know. The beauty of the plan is its simplicity. So I'm opening up the door. Excellent. All right, you open up the door. Oh, hammer ready, by the way. And you see a rather small room. Again, this is sort of an efficiency. There appears to be, the room is about 15 by 20. It has a sofa, a table, a chair, entertainment unit, a very simple kitchenette, a double bed, and you see a small creature on the floor. Any better description than that? <laughs> an alien also you're disparaging the size of the apartment that's 2200 a month in new york you know at least yeah that's a nice yeah that's about right yeah yeah this little creature it seems to look at mo the vesk and it walks over to you and it sort of does a meow bark and it's like meow, meow, and appears to be a dog cat what's a dog oh, cat? oh wow yeah, this is uh this is a little pet. Uh, why a little fella's been in here all alone? I'm gonna go in here and uh, step inside and uh, make sure that he doesn't uh, run by my uh, leg. I'll use my tail to uh, 
make sure that he doesn't run out the door. Uh, okay, Steve, I'm looking at the image here. This is a mogwai. What the hell? <laughs> it's a dog cat. Mogwai, whatever you want to call it. It's a it's an alien pet. A mogwai is a gremlin, right? Yes, it's the adorably cute little gremlin. Uh-huh. It has a little tag on it, and it seems to be quite friendly, and it goes up to Mo and seems to, like, rub on your tail and seems to be purring, barking. Oh, hi. You know, I'll scratch it behind its ear. Do we know any dog cat recipes? <clears throat> I'm going to check to see if uh, there's food and water in uh, a, a, a dog cat dish somewhere nearby. Oh, yeah, there's definitely, like, some food and water, and it seems like, well... The, the dog cat doesn't seem to have an owner anymore. I hate people who leave their pets alone in the house by themselves. That's just not not right. To be fair, he probably didn't plan on dying today. No excuse. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm looking at his calendar. It says dying right here on the calendar. Karoji's so. <laughs> okay. over there looking at it and thinking about whether or not it would be a worthy prey. Yeah. I'm going to pick up the dog cat and uh, put it in the, let's see, my pocket or something like that definitely i mean you're like seven feet tall this thing weighs like put it in your back pocket. it has a tag on it by the way it has a it has a dog tag oh what's the name uh the name is ziggy ziggy <laughs> all right ziggy zig sounds good uh i'm gonna get uh any food i'm gonna look in the the is there a kitchenette area where there's some uh, yeah 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 there's a kitchenette the kitchenette is disgusting this guy definitely lived like a bachelor the bed's unmade uh this is definitely a dwarven it's like it's a toss-up between who's messier dwarves or vesk it's probably a tie but you wouldn't want to be one who had to break that tie there's takeout containers all over the place there's like food there's like empty beer cans the bed is like has various stains on it the computer is just covered in grease and dirt um, it's like just really kind of a messy place. Well, I guess let the perception check start. Yeah, I'm gonna do a perception check and then uh, get out of the way for the uh, more uh, eagle-eyed people. So I think this will be a perception check. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, definitely a perception check. But what are you gonna be looking for specifically? Clues. Oh, come on. I'm gonna I'm gonna search the entire <laughs> search the yeah. entire bed area underneath it, on top of it. Uh, and I'm going to take a 20. I'd All like right. to look at the computer, preferably without electrocuting myself again. Okay. You can definitely do that. Rusty, are you doing anything? Uh, I'm actually going to go through like his clothing drawers and the places where you'd hide something. That's a pretty good idea, actually. All right. So we'll go in order. So first, Haruji takes a 20. The room is pretty small, so this really isn't too much of a check. You like turn off, you know, you turn down the covers, you hold down the bed you're looking under the sheets under the under the mattress in the frame all that stuff it's just like well worn a little dirty but it doesn't look like he was like hiding anything at least in the bed he had some tools that you use like in mining they're pretty much worthless to you guys other than that you know grease stains and dirt uh are covering the mattress but and nothing, nothing under the mess no okay other than the random tools and dirt and uh, some like animal food, you know, things like that. The computers, what are you doing, Tuttle? Are you gonna computer check to see what you can find out? Yeah, I'm just gonna kind of look for any interesting files and stuff like that. All right, just give me another computer check. Or take 20. 
Yeah, you could probably take a 20. All right, in that case, I'll just take the 20. You take the 20, and again, you guys aren't really in a rush here. It doesn't sound like cops are coming or anything, and so far, no one seems to be paying any mind to you, even though there's a fair amount of people walking around. Well, we'll close, let's go in and close the door, I guess. Okay. Well, half of you guys are hanging outside the room, so yeah, you go inside, close the door. Again, you find pretty much the same stuff on their pad, because the pad and the computer are kind of linked. It's like all cloud. It's all a cloud system. You find the same information, um, stuff on Dara. You find... Yeah, a lot of information about pretty much what you've been finding out about. You find out a lot of information was getting on astral extractions. He has a lot of detailed files and folders in them. You can see there's quite a bit of evidence of them doing nefarious things like hiring muscle, corporate muscle, mercenaries, strike breakers, criminal elements. It's all rumors, all speculation. Bingo. There's nothing concrete. <laughs> no corrupt bingo. So they're all so they're Walmart basically. <laughs> Could be. So yeah, there's a lot of it's it's all really nefarious, and it seems like this guy was trying pretty hard to build the case. And again, in other folders, there's tons of articles, information about the accident that killed his cousin. And there's also some information about hard scrabble. That's about it. That's all you can find. It kind of backs up everything you found out to date. There's nothing really new, but it's definitely confirming at least what you found out so far. Rusty, you go through the drawers and you don't really find anything of use other than some quite soiled underwear whether it's oil dirt or other you're not sure uh, but hey man you chose the drawers mm. so you find you do find one thing of interest that's kind of buried in the bottom of the underwear drawer do you want to get it do i want to get it uh, yeah sure you might have to roll a fortitude save yeah i mean seriously i'm it's it's dwarf soiled underwear this is as gross as it gets dead dwarf soiled underwear you find what appears to be a playing card but it's made out of metal and it has one side of it is an ace and the other side is a 10 it's like double-sided and made out of metal and then obviously he hid this pretty well uh so you're not sure what this is well the implication is that it's related to the downside kings, obviously. Or no, the level twenty-one crew. Maybe it's some oh, sort 21 of crew, mem- sorry. membership card the or something. One. Yeah, it definitely looks like it's something related to that. Um, if you were to guess, it looks similar, but it's kind of odd because it's made out of metal and it's double-sided, not like a normal playing card. It's made out of metal, huh? Yeah, it's made out of metal. It's like pretty nice. Like it seems like something yeah, kind of fancy. Yeah, seems like a, like a playing it card. Seems like a, an invitation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm gonna hold on to that. Okay. Anything else? You otherwise you go through it. You know, you find you know some. Let's just say things you don't really want to talk about in front of mixed company in the in the drawers. Yeah. Other than that, that's the only thing you find that's probably worthwhile. That might be a little odd. Um, I guess the only place left is the cushions and the couches and the kitchenette. Um, uh, right. Mo Wilmize, uh, he's, he's going to go through the cushions. Why not? He'll do a perception check uh, through the cushions. Uh, you go through the cushions and other than like some leftover food Ugh. and other things, you do find um, some toys here that maybe belong to Ziggy. Oh, interesting. I'll check the kitchenette. You check the kitchenette and all there are 
is again is like takeout containers and beer um a lot of beer lots of beer and they seemed like he was like stacking them in like pyramids things like that is there anything under the bed or is that uh something that no, no, i completely searched it already we already did that yeah, where were you? Were you were you were you sleeping again? Were you taking a nap, Mo? Oh, I was playing with the uh, dog cat here. I guess He's playing with the euphemism for eat. I guess um, the last place is the couch. Oh, you guys not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's where, that answers the question where I was. I was I searched I the couch. I thought you said cushion. Uh, I think last is the kitchenette. <laughs> and then the computer. Actually, we got. Oh, let's go to the computer. <laughs> well, I think we got as much as we can get out of this place what a dump let's get out of here all right, all right. we we finished the the searching for anything we can and he had no money lying around huh wow you, you went there didn't you it's a simple question yeah, i had sure. to go through dwarf underwear all right i need to get paid <laughs> see rusty now you, you got a nice card who knows what that's from okay so it's uh is it made out of pure gold or Let's beat it. No, it's just made out of metal. Are you bringing Ziggy with you? Um, if he follows, he follows. That's your new pet. But we, we I thought you, I thought you were. I thought you put him in your uh, your like pouch. You're like a kangaroo. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah, I can. Uh, sure, why not? I think we need a mascot. Yeah, I'm gonna put him down on that. I'm gonna let him decide his own fate. If he if he follows us, he follows us. If not, that's fine too. Oh, he's he's totally following you, Mo. He he likes you. Okay. All right. So Shutter's getting jealous. Where to, boys? I, I I think we should try and talk to these twenty-one. They're reasonable. Yeah. And we have the access, you know, like that'll get us in the front door, and then and then and then Rusty can do the talking. What about some of these people milling about the uh, the hallways? Are these uh, are these twenty-one? Uh... People or no, you're not on level 21. Now, level 21's at level 21. You guys are like level like one. Yeah, and also I never actually found out the headquarters for the level 21 crew. I found out where the headquarters of the Downside Kings is. But you did know they're on level 21, so it's probably we might even see them walking around. Well, maybe I can also try and do gather information checks on level 21. Right. right, that's a good idea. We might get attacked if I ask around. I mean, it's possible. Well part of it all right so uh let's head there all right so what time of day is it now it's about dinner time it's like five o'clock okay we can certainly look around besides if they are nightclub attending gang members evening is the the, the high time the witching hour. and we do we have a lot of good things to say to them because you know we didn't re- fire upon them at all at least i didn't no, nobody no, did. We nobody no one did. Th- yeah, no one got around to firing. Okay, there were a couple people we were that were thinking, thinking about, about it. We were heading in that direction, and then we made a quick about face. So once again, you take the public transportation down to level 21. Level 21 is definitely a beat-up area. It's definitely low-end. It's not quite a slum, but there's graffiti. There's tags of some sort. It's crowded. It's definitely a step down from where you just were. It's not, you know, again, it's not a slum by any means, but you can see that updating and keeping the station maintained really requires a lot of resources. And this is what happens if they don't devote all the resources to, I don't know, like where the Starfinder Society is, which was gorgeous and pristine. 
and this is sort of like years of you know minimum maintenance of what will happen to the station i don't like it so this is what happens to a rent stabilized apartment 10 years in right pretty much mo is very comfortable in the slums. yeah it doesn't bother me much either many many years of his life so uh uh are, are we now on level 21 yeah, I put you to level 21, and as you can see, there's kind of like refi- refineries here. It's a little more machinery and oriented. There's like, you know, some toxic chemicals and other strange chemicals going on around here. Uh, actually, if someone has a culture check, you might even be able to recognize some of the graffiti I do. on the I walls. I would like to make that check. Hold, please. 20. And knowing what you've noticed, you can recognize the graffiti on the walls as gang tags, marking this as the territory of level 21. Ah, hey, we're on level 21, and this is where the gang hangs out. And that's their graffiti. That's what you got out of a 20? (laughs) Yes, he was able to figure it out that level 21 has gang tags. We got off on the right floor (laughs) on the elevator. Thank you for making that check. (laughs) Did did you have to go to school for that uh, special... Uh, did special training years i'm very i'm very cultured um all right so i say you know let's try and gather some information where are they hang out we don't see any guys walking around with obvious you know logos on them right no definitely not not right now no all right i'm willing to try a gather information check and just sort of ask around about uh well hold on are we looking for their leader or for any of them? i would say any of them so we can talk to any, someone in charge like a capo Capo, yeah. we need. Well, their leader is named Jabrox. Ah. I can ask around where he or she is. Yeah, that'd be awesome. All right, so I'm going to politely ask around about where I might find a nice person named Jabrox. Now, according to uh, looking at this map, there doesn't appear to be any people around. Are we? Is that? Are we like in an unpopulated area? Like it looks kind of weird. No, there's people around. I just didn't have time to put okay. them all on the map. So we'll just say that there's like, and and this goes on for a huge amount. I mean, this area is quite large. I just sort of, for memory constraints, uh, I don't make it too big so that uh, it won't totally like bog down all of our systems. Uh, are any of are any of you trained in diplomacy? Oh no, not me. Not at all. Okay, I'm on yeah, my. Yeah, that'd be enough. I'm on my own. <laughs> yeah. All right, making my check. Unless you count a zero as trained. A twenty-one in my diplomacy. Nice. Twenty-one's pretty good. I bet I'll be able to find out we're on level twenty-one. Yes, you. You seem to have. This seems to be coming up quite a bit. The twenty-one seems to keep appearing over and over again in all your roles and. So yeah, you you definitely know level twenty one crew. That, you know it's sort of like an open secret that they patrol this area. As for where you find them, you don't really you don't really know. They're kind of hush hush about that. They're again, they're, they are a gang. So if you don't, if you have to ask, but while you're walking around talking, Mo. Tuttle and Hiroji, you guys can give me some uh, perception checks if you guys are going to be like sort of just searching the place and seeing what you can see. Mo gets a 19. Mo gets a 19. I have a 19. You have a plus zero on your perception. Yep. Wow, you stink. Uh, Tuttle gets a 14. Hiroji gets a 22. Hiroji notices something. He sees that there's a bodega and the symbol of the bodega is very similar to the symbol of the takeout containers from Creel's apartments. Interesting. Hey, I could use a little bite of food. Yeah, it is dinner time. Let's go over there. Yeah. 
we yeah, have we head over let's, there. Let's head over there. And if um if uh Rusty is in range of me, is he in range of me now? Where's Rusty? Yeah, I'm probably right. around. I will use my mental ability to tell you that we're going over to this restaurant over here. To this bodega. The bodega is called Mama Fats. It appears to be, you know, there's some it's a bodega. There's a couple of uh, chairs and tables outside. It seems to be very well worn, very homely. Definitely a family establishment. They seem to specialize in quite a eclectic mix of va- vesque and yashoki and sort of just a, like the odd ends, you know, sort of the strange things that you might find if you're an adventurous eater. Mm. They also have like real basic foods too, but it seems to be a strange eclectic mix. I can eat things that make a billy goat up, Chuck. I, I believe that. All right. Yeah, let's let's go in. And uh, yeah, and, and, and see the lay of the land. Is it, um, is there anyone else in here? Yeah, there's a couple, there's definitely a couple of patrons. Uh, you walk in. And do they, do they it, have current inspection stickers from the local health yeah, department? It's not an AM. Are there menus on the wall, or are they just like? Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, good, 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 good. As I said, it's uh, brightly hey, lit. It's a restaurant. Do you order it's behind a, bulletproof glass? Because a... <laughs> I've been, I've been <laughs> to places where that was a fact. Yeah, you um, you you look at the menu, and on the menu, um, it says to be continued. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. You guys fall for that every time. Ah. All right. Very nice. All right. Thank All you. Right, so we'll, we'll pick up next time. You guys will go to Mama Fats and see what you guys can find out. Excellent. That's good. I definitely don't want to spend credits on Mama Fats, though. <laughs> I don't know. Mama Fats. Mama's a nice lady. The food is probably pretty cheap, too. You guys actually made me hungry. Yeah, it's pretty Mama's going to be a 600-pound vest, isn't she? I hope so. You'll find out. You'll find out. So now that the Alien Archive is out, I thought we would do a little review as we all managed to get our hands on it. I figured we would get three different opinions. We have my opinion, Stephen, as a game master. We have Jason McDonald's opinion as a player. And we have John Statz's opinion as a professional game designer, as he's the only one of us who ever got paid to actually design games for a living. And he has a probably unique look at this book and how it was designed. So overall, I know, Jason, you already wrote your review, but what did you guys think of the book in general? Well, I, I really liked it. It's kind of from the player perspective, I think I focused a lot on the playable races, though there was also, I did kind of look at the, you know, what are the cool creatures that you might encounter as a player and i overall i really thought they did a good job with it i was i was a little worried going in that it was just going to be you know okay here's pathfinder's greatest hits with a little twist on them and i thought they did a pretty good job of making everything kind of new and different I, there were this and, and i said this in the, the the review i wrote there were a few moments where it was kind of like the pathfinder stuff was a little been there done that but I can understand why they would include that. I mean, they do seem to be kind of pushing the idea of like, you know, keeping that continuity to the Pathfinder world for anyone who does want that. And, you know, 
me, I wasn't sure about it, but you know, someone else might want that. So I'm not going to say it's a bad choice, but, but I, I thought there were, I thought there were a lot of interesting creatures in there. And, you know, if Tuttle ever buys the farm, I think I've got a couple choices for my next character already. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some interesting, uh, hi, this is John, uh, uh, from the, if there's magic in this world, they're pretty much sold on bringing in some of these fantasy tropes like orcs and elves and so forth that they have to do that. You know, if you're going to have magic, uh, I think it's, it's a given. I think it's a great thing. Uh, the great thing about seeing things that are recognizable um, is that it reduces the amount of explaining to do when you're bringing new people into, you know, into this universe. Um, so I, I think it was a, I, I love the fact that there's drow, you know, in, in, in the game, you know? Well, yeah. Keep in mind also, I know for a fact, and they've mentioned this in other interviews that they have six beasties out for Pathfinder and they wanted to make sure that you can take a Pathfinder bestiary and convert it into Starfinder. And I think they did that, you know, not only that you have a familiarity, but also that you know, oh, here's some examples of goblins and drow and elves and other creatures that you're familiar with, and here's how we did it. So you get a template of how you can do it if you have your favorite Pathfinder creature that you want to bring into the Starfinder world, which I think also lends why they don't have quite as many creatures. So the bestiaries always have one-page descriptions, uh, except for like very rarely will they have like two or three more pages. But in this one, every single creature has two pages, which I personally love. But of course, now you get half the number of creatures. But I like it just because it had not only the stats. Usually in B series, you get stats in like a paragraph of history. You, here you have stats and you have a page plus of history for every creature. So I really, I really liked it a lot. Well, certainly it beats like the old school AD&D monster manual where they cram like four or five monsters on a page sometimes. It's like, here's the stats block and like two sentences about them. We're now we're on to the next one. So, I mean, I, the level of detail was pretty impressive. And just to go back to the other point, I do, I, I do see the value that some people are going to flat out try to bring their Pathfinder campaigns into Starfinder. Or even if you don't bring it all forward, you might still want to retain some of that flavor where, you know, this is my character who's going to be the great, great 10th generation grandson of my Pathfinder character, only he's in Starfinder and he's still an elf. So, I mean, I, I can see the appeal of that continuity. I mean, that's certainly got value. I just as as a as a reader, I kind of found myself kind of going in little peaks and valleys. Where I was like, "This is new! This is new! This is new! This isn't new!" <laughs> it was kind of that was how I was kind of rolling with it. Yeah the the one thing also that I noticed, and I know John spoke to this. So this is a weird book because when I first got it, the very first thing I noticed is I cracked it open and I'm like, "Oh, there's a whole bunch of creatures." Oh, and by the way, there's going to be tons of spoilers. I forgot to mention that that there's going to be spoilers all over the place. So you're you have been warned that I'm like, okay, most of these bestiaries and all monster manuals and every other one I've ever seen, it's like creature, 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 and maybe a few extra items. This book is quite frankly awesome. It has everything. It has creatures. It has items. It has, which we really need because there's a there's not enough really cool items in Starfinder just yet. There's a lot of weapons, but not really items. There's actual spells. There's the summon monster spell, which was 
curiously missing from the main rules, and now is in this book. You have new ships, which including creatures as ships, and then you have the extremely detailed rules on how to build your own creatures, in which they template it out to the point that you can build a creature in like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And this is this is not just one book. This is almost like the greatest hits of everything they wanted to include, and then they put it into this book for everyone. And I think this was genius, and I kind of hope they do this more often, to be honest. Right, and, and and of course, how awesome this book is! Uh, it's also sold out. So <laughs> I don't know, Steve. Do, do you know how long it'll be before uh, these books will be on the shelves again? Well, keep in mind they'll be on the shelves, and you better get it on Amazon or look at your bookstore quick. I know these things completely sold out from Paizo, more or less. The PDF you can get at any time, and I know for a fact they're reprinting these as fast as possible because the Christmas season's coming. So, oh, yeah, uh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be coming out, yeah. but definitely pre-order or get it quick because just like the Starfinder book, like everything Starfinder sold out. Core Rulebook sold out. I went to Gen Con, and I ran a session in the morning thinking, oh, I'll just go pick up. Now, I already had everything pre-ordered, but I thought maybe I'll just pick something up just for the heck of it, just because so, I was going on vacation for a while, and uh, I wasn't going to necessarily get my stuff before I left. And I thought, oh, I'll just pick it up and bring it with me. I, I went down there. The gates opened at 10. My session was over at noon. I went down to the booth, and it was all gone. Totally sold out. Everything. Nothing was left. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought they were just going to restock, but they're like, no, that's it. It's all gone. So they sold out in like two to three hours. And then everything's everything's just gone. So, and sure enough, this is gone too. But John, what did you think of the book? Because you mentioned you thought it was weird because you didn't think it was a monster manual. Yeah. So uh, I went I went through this. I have a I have a whole page of notes. Uh, what I did is uh, I went through. Well, I think a lot of people reviewing this book will do like the monsters A through M, which is pretty much what I did because you just, I, I, I binged on it the entire day. I read all this stuff. Um, it, it, it's definitely not a monster manual and I, and I like it for that uh, monster manual. You're going to expect to see something like, you know, the, the, the giant lion or the dire wolf. Uh, these were races. These were actual alien races uh, I th it struck me that almost all of them were uh, almost all of them were intelligent uh, or, or or something that could be both good or evil. So I saw this as more or less like a reference to uh, uh, game masters and dungeon masters who want to build a module or a, a campaign around a few of these aliens. It's almost too many aliens, like for me, because there's each one of them is, you know, has its own culture and its own history and its own language. Uh, so I would like to see, like, if I were doing a, a campaign, I would take a few of these races that click together and say, okay, now I can build my characters out of this. Here's the good guy. Here's the Here's the bad guy. Here's the bad guy who's going to be breaking from the other bad guy and can be turned against them. Uh, so, you know, all your NPCs and that sort of thing, I think that this is the perfect source from that. And, and, and I like that this book is, is more or less, it's a framework, I think. And, and when seeing familiar uh, 
races, like I said, the drow, uh, the elementals are part of the the, the, the universe. Uh, just seeing how the elementals fit in this universe, it kind of lets you, it, it provides you uh, as a, a game master with a an example of how to fit them in, you know, like that this isn't completely out of place, you know. Uh, so I kind of wrote down a couple dozen of familiar and unique monsters, just little notes. And uh, um, what do you got? What do you got? Yeah. So um, let me think. Uh, let's go with the familiar ones since those are the easier on ramp here. Um, the the Necrovite, okay, uh, struck me as a, it's basically a, a techno lich. Okay, and he hides his soul in this electrocephalon. Okay, an electrocephalon is basically you put the you know the words together. It's an electric head that is where his soul is, and he protects it. And it's kind of an interesting take on a lich. But other than that, you know, he's undead. You know, he's he's a he's a spellcaster. Um, but again, it's the familiar thing. So now you can see how an undead would fit into. There's a lot of that. There's there's the uh, the marooned ones are also undead. There's special undead who who are marooned mar- mariners, and they're just they're so pissed off that uh, being marooned that they're malevolent spirits, and now they're they're luring um, uh, adventurers into a trap. So you can see some of these things that can be used as, you know, authoring a, a an adventure uh, and how they would fit into that. Um, the and I'm going to pronounce this K S A R I K, which I'm going to call it a saric, uh, is a carrion plant. It eats carrion, but it also uh, creates mimics. So it has the the interesting thing, you know. I think it's more interesting than the wolf in sheep's clothing, which is kind of just so obvious. I think it's one of the laziest monsters ever created. Uh, but uh, it's the the, the Sarek is um, it it's 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 its own thing, and it also creates uh, mimics off of extensions of it, uh, and it's another trap monster that you can see. You know, working into a, a story or a room, especially if you have an abandoned um, that that's one thing that I don't know how they're going to do dungeons uh, in in this universe uh, because when you think of fantasy dungeons, but these are kind of like spaceships and rooms and you know stuff. So there's a little bit more traffic. There's a little bit more foot traffic that uh, uh, you know you're you're going to see. So it's it's not quite the same thing as 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 a yeah you got the whole you got the whole universe to play with how do you end up in a cave exactly yeah yeah exactly um well but some you, other okay oh, go, go ahead i have some of you that i liked if we're going to go through the ones that we liked so so because some people after your review jason wrote me and they were worried that the monsters were too normal after your review and i said which i thought was true was like one you kept them normal just so people had frame of reference and two i didn't really want to spoil anything i didn't want you to like start telling about the coolest things but the k-pin the k-pin is insane the k-pin is the creature that its its face is made of mouths and worms and its appendages can leave its face and then scout out within a hundred feet 
and find creatures and then attack them in a swarm or it can then like bring the creature back so it's like a creature that it has tentacles that detach from its face and then kills things and then it comes and kills you it's horrible i've never even seen anything quite like that i don't know if there is a pathfinder equivalent but i i can't think of anything that one was pretty disgusting and even the assembly ooze the assembly ooze because everyone loves everyone loves some gelatinous cube so that's the the take on it and that one was cool because it's a it's an ooze that basically whatever falls into it it basically manufactures items. It basically takes them, turns them into technology, and then randomly spits out equipment. And I thought that was genius because it was it was technology that went amok. And then if you read the description, they basically said that's what it was. It was like, oh, it's basically technology they use for like assembly plants, but something went wrong, and now they go around like killing people, and that people also can use them for like. So it's not evil; it has benevolent purposes. But sometimes they malfunction, and then they become evil it's the this is not your father's gelatinous cube <laughs> that one was cool and then the other one um what was the one the, the hexter or something the one that it oh, the hesper you? i think it, yeah it has yeah it, it, it has like you. a radiation attack and the radiation attack generates random mutations and they're all sorts of things you can and they're, they're not necessarily some they could be good they could be bad in a couple cases like like one I mentioned in my article is you can grow an extra pair of eyes, and that, but it makes you more susceptible to like blindness and light effects, uh, or you can spout gills, or you can you can you know create it creates sores that like burst and cause damage, and and the, they're not lo- they're not permanent uh, mutations, but yeah, that you're like actually mutating in the middle of battle because of this creature hitting you. I thought yeah. that was such a freaky right. cool concept. Yeah, that's that alone is fantastic. Well, and even the playable races. I mean, you know, they did get past. They did. They did stretch the boundaries of what would be a playable race. I mean, obviously, the brain in the jar. I I joke about the brain in the jar. The contemplatives, which are like the brain on the mostly vestigial body. Uh, But I mean, you know, they also have this like creepy thing that's like a floating, you know bulbous mass with tentacles and that's uh, th- that one was the uh oh the barathu the it's like a kind of it's almost cthulhu looking and, and it's like and it floats around and and there's this uh the there's another one that was the uh yeah the barathu you can actually play which i thought was weird oh those the, things the, are disgusting. the urog u-r-o-g that's like a it's like this almost like half horse half snail looking beast that's also electrical and it's like that's playable so i mean it, it's not all bipedal type things though there are a fair no i mean obviously there are going to be a fair number of those well the one thing i do so this is what i do whenever i get uh, a book like this and i don't know if you guys do this so the very first thing i do is i actually go to my old standbys and i always look to see because so i look at like there's the power levels, okay? You have your like your fodder, like your goblins and stuff. And they don't really have a ton of those. I mean, yeah, they do have the space goblins, but like um, they don't really have a lot of like the weaker races. The things, everything in Starfinder seems like it can kill you, including there's things in here that have a half a CR that I think could kill you in one round. I mean, they're very deadly. Then you have 
the stronger items, which will always be usually the elementals. And the elementals do seem quite strong. Then you have like the devils and demons and angels who usually are the next tier up in strength. And then finally, the one I always use as the barometer is the dragons because dragons are supposed to be the end-all, be-all. If this thing, if you're in a fight with the dragon, you, I don't care how powerful you are. I don't care what spells you have. You better bring your A-game or you are going to die. End of story. They're very strong. And sure enough, here it is. They have a dragon in here. Young adult dragon. This thing has DR magic resistance, immunities, hit points at the wazoo. It has, it can fly, it can burrow, it can walk, it can bite. It has multi-attack, which means, because I was worried about, oh, it doesn't have iterative attacks. Well, they have iterative attacks. They can bite, claw, claw, tail slap you. The, the thing actually has a rifle. I love the picture. It's sitting there with a rifle on its shoulder. So it on not only shoulder, doesn't, yeah. it not only doesn't yeah. have a breath weapon, but it has an arc rifle. It has qu- a huge now, did, that, did that dragon put that on there, or do you think somebody put that on the dragon oh, no, for I the think dragon? They, oh, no. I think they have arms. They're smart. They're geniuses. They put it on there. So he has a breath weapon and a rifle, and then they have spells. And they're geniuses. So you put all that together, and yeah, I mean, these things, I, I, I can't even imagine fighting this thing. I mean, it can, it, any one of these attacks, it's, it's claw, claw, bite, tail slap could kill you. Any one of them. And it gets four of those around if it wants. Plus, it has the rifle and it goes everywhere. So that was like, and I was happy to see they did that because without iterative attacks, Something interesting is happening with Starfinder is that these creatures hit really, really hard because it's no more that they can hit you five times with five little attacks. They have to hit you once with a really strong attack, and you guys are finding that out the hard way too. Some creatures have a multi-attack, and they can attack you. Not only do they attack you with no penalties, but they hit hard, and they'll hit hard four, five, six times. So it looks like they did break the rule with the monsters on some of the more powerful ones that they still get iterative attacks, which I don't think PCs are going to like. I know the first time that's going to happen because you guys are going to get used to it. You're going to think, oh, okay, I'm going to stand next to it because it's only going to hit me once. And then sure enough, it's going to hit you three, four times and you'll be half, if not dead. And that's just going to re I'll put it this way. You guys better invest in mysticism and life science because you're going to want to ID these things before you attack them. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I think that's going to be uh, true. I was wondering if you were going to bring up the Nova Spawn. Uh, actually, I was. I saw the that Nova thing. Nova insane. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's no. You can tell. Yeah, I talk too much. The Nova Spawn. Okay, so this is. It's not. It forget CR. Okay, it's it's what you fight in your spaceship. This is a creature that you're going to be fighting in your spaceship. Okay, it's a tier eight. Uh, <laughs> creature. There's no CR on it. Um, well, this is what. There's the funniest thing is that it like so creatures, as everyone knows, have like sizes, and it's like small, medium, large, colossal, huge. This one is a huge starship aberration. With like, okay, it's it's. It, they didn't even have to say. They could have just said starship, but they didn't. It's a huge starship. So it's a starship monster, which I yeah. love. And they have, and it's got tentacles. <laughs> You can't go wrong with tentacles. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And they have the space whales, <laughs> which I thought was yeah, funny. Yeah, those are the, the Oma or whatever. Yeah. Those, 
you can actually like use their dead husks as a spaceship, I believe. If, I yeah. think that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Or if, or if you can somehow, or if you can somehow mind control them, you can do it with them still being alive. Yeah, there was quite a bit of telepathy, and, and, and I kind of like that because, and again, I'm looking at, Jason, I'm actually curious to know this. When I'm looking at this thing, uh, as a game developer and as an ex-dungeonster ex for how many years, I'm looking at monsters as how can I incorporate them in the story and get an interesting part of the narrative. Do you do that, or are you just looking at, like, oh, is this a, as an opponent, a series of an opponents? Uh, do you look at that stuff uh, as... From, oh, either. from a player perspective, yeah, from a, or just in general? Yeah, I mean, I... No, I still do look at it from a story perspective, but there's a little bit more of a tactical, you know, boy, I'd hate to fight right. this or boy, this you're looking really for the weak weaknesses and like, you know, it's a little, yeah, a little, little bit. bit, but I mean, it's, it's kind of yeah. hard to totally shed that mindset, but you do also try to factor in, you know, what sort of story could you tell with this or what sort of story would you like to see that it would involve? Yeah, this? I mean, that Steve definitely looks at it that way. I, I don't even have to ask Steve with the, him GMA all the games that we've done no i like to see monsters with cool stuff that's my that's what i like i like to see monsters that are memorable i like to see monsters that have really cool abilities and are just unique um because think about it, the average monster lasts three rounds that's approximately what they last so you want to make them memorable and you know you're going to fight some guy with a club you're like whatever you're never going to even remember that thing but you guys still talk about, I don't know, like the guy who went through the wall and that you couldn't attack or the glowing green color that almost killed you all. You know, like these yeah, are just cool yeah. monsters that you just don't forget. And so I like to, you know, these these if the monsters are cool enough that they can tell a story within three rounds and be like, what the hell are we fighting and what did it just do? So I like I look at that and also um in terms of like deadliness, I, that doesn't really matter because, look, you can scale these things up and down at will. Um, that's very easy to do in the middle of a fight. Like it's extremely easy to scale these things, but you can't just come up with new abilities. That's nearly it's really hard to do in the middle of a fight. So I like to see the abilities and like what they write out. And in terms of story, right. well, I do all pre-written adventures, so I don't really care about story. So that's not really me. Like sometimes I'll fit something in, but that's backfired too because I did. Um, it wasn't with you guys, but I did. Uh, which adventure the um uh the kingdom building one with uh for paizo and i added literally just one encounter where they met they went into a cave and they met a rust monster and they were so pissed about meeting that rust monster that they looked up the adventure to see if it was there and it wasn't and they were furious at me because they're like how dare you add that rust monster to the adventure that wasn't in the adventure and you can imagine who that might be. <laughs> Some of them are playing. The other half of them are playing now. They weren't. Chris was a little upset. I don't think Bob was. Bob was like mildly upset. But you know, and so I try not to really deviate from the adventures too much. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh! I yeah. can't believe that. I mean, when I would GM, I had this. Oh God! I, this is way back in. Jeez. Uh, 
This was back when we weren't as good as we are. Like we were a little oh. more immature back then. This was this was like fifteen years ago. I, I added a mind flayer to a uh, a module that was it was a Conan module. The Conan module was horribly written. It was literally there are two monsters in the entire uh, uh, adventure, but. I added a mind flayer just to make it somewhat exciting, and it was the only good encounter. And people said, "Oh, that was really great!" So, oh my god, I, I can't imagine every DM should be able to call audibles. Like, I mean, there's yeah. no. I've I've always thought that the GM's primary role, I mean, his primary service is to the story and keeping things moving. And if that means occasionally i've seen that mean dropping an encounter you know if you know if the thing's starting to lag a little bit and people are starting to lose interest but if that also means adding an encounter or changing an encounter if it makes the story better if it makes things more interesting if it puts in some meat on the bones that wasn't there before i i think it's a i think it's a worthwhile thing i mean i think that's something the gm should be doing I'll give you a little background on this just to add a little more spice to the story. Now that we're like kind of going on a tangent, but I find it, it was interesting. So this was a, it was me, um, me, Bob, Chris, and then two other players. And the other two players decided to make non-conventional characters in which they would talk their way out of the ball, the fights. So they decided they were not going to fight. They were just going to talk their way out. And I allowed it. And I would never forget this would happen is that now in that adventure path, there's not a lot of loot. There's not a lot of loot to begin with. So you really have to kill creatures to get the loot. So I'll never forget. They were on this bridge with these two like dragonkin, and they were supposed to kill them and get all their loot. But instead they talked their way through the dragonkin, like let them go and they leave. And then Chris, who, as we like to joke is chaotic, greedy lost it. Cause he's like, well, where's the loot? I'm like, it just flew off. And he lost it. He was furious. He was furious at me. He was furious at the PCs. Like, what do you mean they just flew off? I'm like, well, you didn't kill them. You talked them out of it. And that's that's the consequences. So on top of that, throwing in the Rust Monster, which they barely got any loot, and then it like messed up their best loot. I think oh, that was yeah. a straw. That's, I think that was a straw that broke guess. the key. That's <laughs> an easy guess. Let me just guess that the Rust Monster hit somebody's weapon. Yeah. Yeah, people weren't too happy. But, <laughs> chalk that up to a learning experience. It's like, yeah. I, I got to be careful with Rust yeah, Monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it put the fear of God into them, and it worked. Boy, did yeah. it work. <laughs> so, and, you, th- you think that you think that club, that one copper piece club in the in the uh, merchant uh, screen looks st- stupid, but then Rust Monster happens. Well, I learned my lesson, and that's and that's what you're saying. It's like I go by story, and I draw a lot of encounters and now what i also do is i change the loot to match what it should be you know i'm always very careful as you know bob will calculate to the penny how much loot everyone has to make sure we're keeping up with what they recommend in the books and i'm very much aware of that because you know that you know you guys need loot and i've had many many discussions with the game designers and you probably agree with this john is that these games are, and I actually spoke to them afterwards. I mentioned this. I was talking to uh, Chris Perkins from Wizards about this, and he said, like, you can't play D&D that way. Like, D&D is designed, or Pathfinder, 
or Starfinder, you need equipment. Like if you want to play a game where you're just talking yeah, to people, oh, yeah. there's other games for that. But it's yeah. designed and scaled on equipment and wealth, and you need to keep getting it or you're going to fall behind. So you got to be very careful with that. And yeah, that's yeah. something I, I learned. But anyhow, that's why, again, back to the original question from 10 minutes ago, that's why I like monsters with special abilities. There you go. Yeah, looking through these, I was looking for familiar, you know, things. Now, obviously, dragons you brought up. Uh, there's they they went over the chromatic dragons. Okay, so we've got the color types of dragons. We know that that's part of this universe. Uh, metallic dragons. Uh, there's no examples of that, and I, and I like that they mentioned that there were other entirely other categories of dragons. Um, and I, and I'm interested to see what they come up with, uh, with that. So, what do you think? Everyone loves the Skidamander. Skidamander. <laughs> yeah, the Skidamanders. Yeah, Skidamander. They are first. They're they're very cute. They're they're on the cover, and as soon as I saw them on the cover, like, what are those things? They look so funny, and they have the funniest history of everything in this book. I thought they're. Do you want to tell it, John or or Jason? I thought it no, was. No, go hysterical. ahead. Go ahead. They basically they're part of the Vescorium. They're part of the Vesk Empire, which I couldn't believe the Vesk. And I, they're like, and they don't even know they're conquered. Like the Vesk just showed up, and they're just like, "Hey, you're big and mean and scary. So sure, you're in charge." And they're like, the Vesk come in like saying, "We're in charge and we're going to rule you." And they're like, "Okay." Like they're they're like the most passive aggressive race I've ever seen, and it seems to drive the Vesk insane you know what it reminded me it reminded me of the great tribble war with the klingons yeah they they strike me as a uh, pokemon <laughs> i mean that's the they're yeah there was something about them being like too polite to to de- to worry about the fact that they'd been conquered yeah they're just like okay yeah. we're, we're conquered and the vesca <laughs> they, they seem to don't understand they they they, they bossed them around and they don't understand that they don't seem to be subjective or scared of them or anything. And it's it's genius. It's genius. And I don't know if you remember, that's like thrown away. That's a thrown away line, I think, on Deep Space Nine or something, where um, Worf talks about how the how the war, you know, the Empire went to war with the Tribbles, and it was like some massive war that they never talk about. And this sounds familiar. It's like the Vesk trying to take on, they could take on the meanest, nastiest enemies, but these little skidamanders have defeated them because they they gave up and they still like don't even know they're defeated. So it's driving them. They're just losing like a psychological war. It's beautiful. I love that. But you you know somewhere out there there's GMs already planning to like do some sort of weird dark version of the skittermanders where they're cannibals or something just for just for that's kicks. the mirror mirror universe where we get the skittermanders actually they own the vescorium and the vesk are like their slaves they're yes. slaves <laughs> now here's a question all right now it's funny uh jason that you focused on the player races i skipped over the entire front of him and once I, I, I skipped over any material <laughs> covering the monsters. I went straight into the monsters. How do you know whether or not something is playable? Is is there a section for that? Or well, in the book, in the book, they specifically mark the playable races. They have like it's in the table of contents. They have like a little asterisk on each race, and then within the book itself, they put like a stats block. Like here's how you convert this to a playable is that, race. Is, is that where it says racial traits? Is that yes? Yeah, it says when it says includes racial traits. There's actually a stat. So block. anything with racial traits is actually a that's that's a canon. Uh, yes. 
with with me wow. if the GM allows. Yeah. There's, There's some really cool. Oh my goodness. Okay, yes. now I see this. Yeah, you got 22, 22 oh, of them. It's pretty wow. impressive. Yeah, this is this is really not. Yeah, this is not a fiend folio or a monster manual. This is like I think there's almost too many monsters to actually put into one book and that's why they did this is that they're focusing on the races. Yeah, and like you and like you said there's very few things in there where it's like a closed loop here is the monster. It's more like here is the ra- here like you said here's the race, here's two or three examples of how you would use this race and then you kind of can even take it further if you want to. There's some cool stuff. Okay, so uh, looking – okay, so we got the drow. We've got the elementals. Elementals are part of this year. Yeah. Space what goblins. What you got in your notes? You're the only one, one of us who took notes. The grays. I thought those the were grays, – The grays are so good, and then their attack is called probe. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that's so gross. <laughs> yeah, and you know that there's just a GM going – Oh yeah, I can see. I this is there's there's comedy coming up, you know. There's comedy, you know, giggles coming up. Um, so, and again, I look at this stuff as from a GM standpoint. So those what I, those are like the uh, A through M, the races that I found very uh, recognizable. I didn't get as far as uh, into the uh, book because I just started reading. I didn't. I don't really even flip through. But um, there's some really cool, unique monsters that I've never seen before. Um, there's the uh, Kalo. Okay, K-A-L-O. They're a peaceful people. Uh, they're, they're aquatic bats. And I'd never seen that type of, uh, you know. Uh, well, they were, they were the most visually. They were one of the ones that jumped out at me just on kind of a visual aesthetic level because they just looked really cool. I mean, they got these green, they're bright green with these bat wings and they got the little fish faces. And first of all, I mean, I had even kind of just kind of ignored the the concept of aquatic but i mean yeah i mean aquatic aquatic still part of this universe i mean so i was like okay that's and i'm flipping through the book it's a playable race this is a freaking cool race to play oh my goodness this is nuts okay yeah Except that since they breathe water, you probably have to have like a they have some sort of breathing suits. apparatus or yeah, environment suit the like, entire time. Uh, yeah. in, uh, who, oh, for who, what's his name in the Hellboy? Jeez. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. Abe Sapiens yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, the, there's like the Maracoy or whatever. Those are kind of cool. There's like the, they look simian. Yeah, they the look Maracoy. like lemurs, <laughs> but somehow – Somehow they're clumsy lemurs because they're like a, their dex is like their weak stat. I was like, wait, so these are like uncoordinated simians. Like, yeah, okay, the Maracoy are kind of cool. Are, are interesting. They've got seven sexes in their in in their race. Uh, they're a tribal. They're like m- mammals with like bug like eyes. Okay, and this is again, it's an intelligent race, so you can have good ones and you can have bad ones, and you know, it's 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 so much. I find it to be so much more interesting than, uh, I don't know, a race that's all bad. You know, like the orcs are all bad or the hobgoblins are all bad. Uh, I, I, I like that there's, you know, there's, there's, more, there's, there's more to play with. There's more depth there. Uh, so, I, okay, and then what, speaking of weird races that did cool things, was it the Aperi? Those are the vermin that are literally a hive. They're like a walking hive of, of like bugs. 
and they can actually spawn 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 constituents is literally the ability where they can actually defend themselves by sacrificing part of themselves to make another version they can like break off and make new versions of themselves they're just absolutely disgusting and they have the coolest ability i've ever seen because they're not what they're like a swarm you know what they were like they were kind of like the the ant guy from uh, rick and morty um they're just like one million, one million ants, ants yes million. <laughs> exactly it's yeah. except except disgusting so it's a genius you know it's a it's like a swarm in a creature form which again it's like i've seen swarms and i've seen creatures but i haven't really seen a, a creature that becomes a swarm at will which is genius like they really they they went pretty crazy with this and that's saying a lot because in the world of fantasy yeah, there's a lot of stuff, but it's all rooted in the same mythologies. But in the world of science fiction, you got anything. Like you can make your toaster into a monster. You know, like anything is anything is game. You know, you can turn anything into a monster. And here they did. They and they went weird. And there's stuff I just haven't seen. Like it's just that I've not seen before anywhere. It's very cool. And that, that's kind of what I was getting at. That's something I kind of said in the review is that, you know, fantasy kind of tends to keep coming back to the thing, the familiar tropes, because, I mean, that's what people know and they're expecting. Whereas sci-fi, it's like, it can almost be anything. It's very expansive. It's like, you want to do, you know, you want Amish lizards as a, as a sub sort of a planet full of Amish lizards, go for it. I mean, uh, you see that in like Dr. Who and Star Trek and stuff like that. I mean, maybe not so much something like Battlestar Galactica, but like a lot of the sci-fi is, and yeah, they have, you know, you got your Klingons and your Cardassians and your recurring villains, but you'd also get into this kind of, okay, new planet, new alien. Let's have fun exploring the possibilities. And I, and I think that's, they're making the Starfinder guys are making they're making a good inroads towards doing. Yeah, that. in fact, that brings me to an interesting point. Of if I would say, I'm curious what you guys think. If you would say if these monsters or creatures are of the Star Trek, the Star Wars, or the Doctor Who ilk, I would say this is of the Doctor Who ilk in the sense that these monsters are really cool. They just sort of assume you know what they are. They have very complex backstories, and they just sort of throw them out there like, oh, here they are. And that's what I like about Doctor Who. Doctor Who is always very dark. It's like happy with a shade of darkness everywhere, which is kind of what I feel like when I'm reading this book. They don't seem like, uh, at least to me, like Star Wars or Star Trek type aliens. I, th I think that's fair. I think Doctor Who's kind of got the either it's a fully developed race with their own planet and their own society. And part of the sh show is learning the ins and outs of that society. And then there's also the doctor who episodes that have some nasty beast type monster. And, I, and so I think that's closer to what, you know, star Trek only occasionally had the nasty beast type monster. And a lot of, even the, even a lot of the humanoid stuff was kind of pushing out against the limits of what the, uh, what the makeup and the CGI guys were doing. Whereas Doctor Who seems like it takes it a little further out there. So I'd probably go with you on the Doctor Who side of things. Yeah, it would have to be that. I mean, Star Wars and Star Trek are both, you know, how do aliens interface with humans? I mean, that's what civilization is the human civilization, it seems like. And it's like, yeah, you eventually go to the uh, uh, Ewok planet, you know, but uh, the 
it's not as weird. <laughs> uh, it's not as there's nothing so crazy that it takes time to digest. Ewoks look like a primitive tribe. Okay, we get that. We've seen you know primitive tribes before. We you know, move on. There's there's some stuff that's just way out there. Um, uh, yeah, the sand people or the rancor yeah, just. Yeah. Stuff, are there just stuff yeah. for Luke to fight or get, get killed by or yeah or killed? Right. Yeah. And they look cool, but still, you know, they're they're behaving pretty much as a human tribe would be, you know, whether or not you know they're desert dwellers or whatnot. So real quick, I, I wanna because we could talk about this forever and I think we've already gone quite a long time. So I wanted to mention the building of the creatures. So this is there's a lot of discussion on the boards about this, which I only find interesting because again, I, I mean I talk to game designers and I've heard past podcasts, and one of the biggest issues with early versions of D D and even Pathfinder is is that monsters, you can make monsters and you can make them really cool and you can make them really strong because they're monsters. But if you're going to fight an NPC or any humanoid creature, the biggest problem is, A, it takes forever to build them. It can take hours and hours to build them because if you want to make an 8th level envoy or a ninth level soldier, you actually have to build one. And it takes a long time to build a ninth level soldier. And then you have to give them equipment. And then if you have a one NPC fighting four PCs, you have to make them really strong. And the way you make them really strong is by giving them really good equipment, which is why I've heard them joke about them calling loot pinatas because you kill them and now you have the same equipment and now you're stronger and then it becomes this endless trend bill. And I've heard a lot of people upset on the boards because they don't understand wait a second, what's going on? How come this low-level creature who's a human is firing a laser pistol and my laser pistol does 1d4 damage and they're hitting me and doing 3d9? How is that humanly possible if they're using the exact same laser pistol? And the reason is that they don't use the same rules, that they put in a whole new system, which is I can see controversial, but I can see from a game point of view, is that these creatures can have the bare minimum of equipment and as long as they're the same level as you, they can hit you as hard, if not harder, than you're hitting them back, and yet they drop nothing that great or nothing outside of the ordinary, so it doesn't make you super powerful. Now, a lot of people are upset about this because they feel it's, quote, not realistic, but from my point of view, it takes like 10 minutes to make these creatures instead of several hours. It's a lot easier to read the stats from my point of view, too, because I've seen creatures that go on for a page, and I have to spend an hour learning the creature, and then it's dead in three rounds, and I throw it out, and I never see it again. And also, it makes them powerful. It makes them, like, you know, if you're going to have one PC against four, sorry, one NPC versus four PCs, it has to be able to stand toe-to-toe with them. And with iterative attacks gone, they only get to attack once. So what do you do in that case? And I think this was a good solution. And I know, I know a lot of longtime GMs and obviously the Starfinder team love this concept. I've heard a lot of players complain about this so far. I just wanted to see what you guys thought of this whole new building concept. Well, I, I don't GM a lot, so I don't, ha- I don't know that I have the best perspective on this. I, at first read, it felt a little dry and clinical and template 
I mean, and, and that was, you know, I, I, I joked that I, I started to get some fourth edition cold sweats because that was my huge problem with fourth edition is it just seemed like everything was like a cookbook and everything was designed to be as similar as possible. And when I first started reading this, I was like a little bit worried they were going down that road. But I kind of sat with it a while and I thought about it and I started to come around for a lot of the reasons you described. That you can't just, you know, to put it in, you know, put it in Pathfinder terms, you can't just give a level one orc a Vorpal Blade and have him be a challenge because then you're going to end up with a dead orc in the party having a Vorpal Blade. I mean, so, and and like you said, the flexibility, the, the flexibility is key because then you can you can indulge in this kind of world building. I mean, there, there are some there are some people who are going to want to stay on adventure paths and aren't going to do a lot of their own custom design. But you know, for the GMs and players who want to have that more expansive campaign where they just go from planet to planet, you know, seeking out new life and new civilizations or whatever. If people want to have that kind of game, I think this system is actually going to be really good for that. So I, I, I started to see the value after I sort of rolled it around my brain a little bit. So I think it's pro and and like they say right in the book, you can always bend the rules or break the rules if you feel like you need to. So I mean, if you want something that feels more custom, you can still make that. But this is a this is at least a good starting point for it. Yeah, I mean. Steve, your description was every single computer game, or should I say PVE uh, computer game out there. I mean, the computer has to cheat. I mean, it has to cheat. Whether it's an AI producing way more units than you uh, or uh, enemies that always happen to know where your position is. Um, That's just, yeah, that's... I, I I never even it, it never even occurred to me that there should be a complete parity between you know. I mean, you worked at Blizzard. You you used to make like professional monsters. I mean, I played enough WoW in my day, and so was Jason, and so yeah. was you. That it, they're not built the same. Like you know, there's there's PCs and they're monsters, and oh, if you yeah, have to build the monsters like PCs, completely different. Thing. Exactly, I mean, it's completely yeah. different thing. Like, I guess. Ruining. I think what you need to do is, I guess there's the fantasy of you know the character being embedded in the world. Like if they're worried about the mechanics, then that's just that's just silly, you know. I think, but I think the narrative can be explained by, I don't know. I, it just doesn't seem like a a, a worthy ar- argument to me. I think the I think they're trying to metagame it, and it's you can't metagame anymore, and and that's that's valid. I mean, like you really can't metagame because you can see two guys standing there who look exactly the same, and one could be a level ten challenge and one could be a level one challenge and they can have the exact same armor and the exact same weapons and the level 10 guy is going to shoot you and do and kill you in one round the level one guy won't and i think that's the argument it's like well there's no visual cues i think that's just a part of the gm has to do parts of that like by, by mentioning things like oh this guy's got scars in his face or he looks really tough even though he's carrying like you know just a laser pistol like a crappy laser pistol as well as, you know, you have to really invest in identifying monsters. I mean, you guys do that a lot. I mean, you guys know that we play so many adventure paths that you never see things ever that you've ever seen before. So you can never use real-world knowledge, period. It's just not part of the game. 
But I think a lot of people don't do that. I think a lot of people use cookie cutter and that the characters learn what they're seeing and they, they see the monsters and they're able to figure out what they are. And now for the first time in a long time, if not ever, people are facing monsters that they've never seen and they have no idea how to evaluate them. And coupled with the fact that Path Starfinder monsters hit extremely hard, that they're just dying. I'm also reading that a lot, that people are just getting wiped out left and right, because this is not an easy game. It's not, it's not Starfinder, uh, sorry, Starfinder. It's not Pathfinder. I mean, this is a whole different game. Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, I think there's some truth to the fact that it's not a problem until you have a TPK. I think, you know, people have, well, people are playing this, they'll have a few successful encounters. They may or may not even notice it. And then they'll have that encounter that leaves half the party dead. And then they'll be like, why the hell are they hitting us so hard? And that, and then that's when they might start noticing that the kind of disparity between, you know, your laser pistol and my laser pistol, and your laser pistol is doing twice as much, three times as much damage, and you know how they react to that would require a little bit of you know hand holding by the GM, I suppose. Well, I mean, you take Tom Brady's football away, doesn't mean you're going to be able to take his football and throw and pass like Tom Brady. I mean. It, I, I'm trying to even think of some equivalents where, you know, or the sniper version of Tom Brady, you know, uh, you take a sniper, someone, you, you there's, there's going to be a big difference between you and someone who's, who's trained or who's. Yeah. Well, that's the thing that people are saying, oh, my weapon is a level one laser pistol. So it does one D four, which is really how, how Pathfinder and most of these games work, but they don't do that. The way these monsters work is, I have a laser pistol, and my laser pistol, which is exactly the same as yours, does three times more damage. And they're like, what? How is that possible? And yet their stats aren't much better. And it's because, well, I'm level 10, and I'm way better. You know, if you want to turn it into a narrative and say, he's hitting you in the face. You know, it's like those other guys are shooting randomly and hitting you in the foot or the hand right. and hitting right in your armor. This guy ain't missing. He's hitting you right in the eye. He's been around in a while. He's been around a while. He knows the weak points of the armor you're wearing. He's shooting you at the right places to exactly. do the most damage. I mean, any good GM. And the other thing is, and I mentioned this on our very first show, you got to be a good GM. You got to tell your players what to expect. And I, I've gone through this many times, and I've probably said it a hundred times. These things are going to hit hard. Do not be surprised when I crit you for 15 points of damage and you're almost dead. Or heck, I hit you normal for 10. It's like, this is going to happen. And you guys have learned that quickly. Like, it's not me. That's the game. And you just have to play a little smarter and not be so cavalier like you can in, um, in, in Pathfinder or even D&D. And I think there is value to kind of that having that session zero sitting down before the game starts and saying, look, this is not Pathfinder. This is different. This is a different thing. And, you know, it's similar enough, but there are differences. And particularly at the low levels, you might find these differences a little shocking. So you might want to be aware of them. Because I remember we did our test session and remember that. I actually, if you remember that, uh, Jason, you weren't on it, John, but we got, we're in a fight and Chris who has his 1d4 laser pistol, gets hit by someone else who had a laser pistol who did 1d6, like, plus three. And Chris said, wait a second, how come he just hit me for nine points of damage and he has the same laser pistol I have? 
because uh, he was metagaming and because he does yeah, he, yeah, he wants yeah. to know what's going yeah. on yeah. he wants to know exactly what's going on and he's like wait whoa 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 and once i explained it he was totally fine with it he gets it he totally understands it but that's something else it's like you know to some point to be a good player especially us because we're big into the combat like really big in the combat you got to know the mechanics and you got to know the rules and i think it's good to look at these building rules from from your point of view, from a player's point of view, so that you know what to expect. When you I don't think it's giving anything away. When you see this and you're like, okay, these monsters really can hit this hard at level five, I should expect that and not be surprised. Which I think everyone should look at these rules, not just not just the uh, you know GMs, but players should be familiar with them too. So if you want to go in with that metagame experience, now you can. So, so let me ask you a question: Is Piazzo uh, backing away from the, the 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 holy trinity? You know, DPS, healing, and tank. Uh, like, if you have a melee character, uh, how would you no. play? I mean, no, these things not- do hit as you know. If it takes you a couple hits before you can even get to them, because it's got a lot. There's a lot more ranged weapons in this in the in this game. That's why they have two different armor classes. Uh, if you notice, the uh, physical armor classes are easier to hit than the ranged armor classes. That's the very first thing. So ranged weapons don't hit, and the scaling is very tight, uh, from what I could tell. It's D and D fifth edition has extremely tight scaling. Like the the pluses to hit at level one are the same as level twenty which is kind of weird because, you know, usually you're used to always going up a little slowly, like the slow slope. There's a little slope to D&D 5th edition, but, you know, and obviously Pathfinder, like at level 20, you are a god and just have insane numbers of attacks and you can attack 20 times and, you know, the huge numbers. But they're doing the same, they're kind of going down that same route where at level 20, you're going to only have a slightly bigger advantage if you keep scaling that you do at level one so you really a have to sort of turn to each other like the envoy has got a ton of abilities that add and remember thirsty said this on our interview like he has a lot of ways to make people hit harder and that's really important the spellcasters have those abilities the healing isn't as important because everyone has stamina points so they don't want someone right. to be the healer right. and that's that's been going that way for a long time in a lot of these games so they're kind of going away from it. But the melee damage also does, they do way more damage. So not only does melee from PCs, not only do they hit easier, but the damage is extremely high compared to ranged weapons. Well, you think of that think of that first encounter where, you know, I, I was shooting my little pew, pew, pew laser pistol and doing like three points of damage, and then you got up in their face and did like, Nine, oh, ten, yeah, eleven yeah, that, points yeah, in one yeah, hit. That, and it was like okay. warhammers <laughs> just squishing them, you know, one turn. But you know, the the trade off with that is that you know I'm going to get hit from time and time before I get up there. So yeah, even, even cheddar, even cheddar was doing five or yeah, six. Yeah. Well, so. also keep in mind you can. Um, you you also can carry. A, you're playing a soldier. You can have a heavy armor. But back to like yeah, back to the book. It's like yeah, that's that's. You know, it's like people just have to get used to that this is just the way it is. And also, you can very quickly, and they wanted to make it a system because they they mentioned this, I said in the beginning, I'll say it again, they have hundreds and hundreds of monsters out already. And they're, you know, A, they're going to do it as a company because they want people to buy their Pathfinder stuff. Yeah, because 
Pathfinder just translates right into this. Right, and exactly. Yeah, there's no reason to have more monsters. Exactly, right? exactly. So they're going to come out with cool monsters. And also, people forget. I mean, I remember it because I was there. It's like when Pathfinder first came out, because people are now chomping on the bit for equipment and like new books. It really took a good year and a half for Pathfinder to get its feet going. Like, it, you know, it was very little uneven at first, and there wasn't a lot out. And they were still using like the 3.5 rules. They weren't even using their own rules. It was sort of like a hybrid. And then, uh, you know, a few months or a year and a half later, then they really start to really crank out their own unique material. And I think Starfinder. They did not expect it to sell this well. This is like their best-selling book of all time. Everyone's talking about it. The system's really great, I think. I think it's refined. It's nice. You know, we've played 10-plus years of Pathfinder, 30-plus years of Fantasy. It's nice to have a change of pace. It's nice to, you know, have the same system yet in a new universe. So they're going to they're gonna start cranking the stuff out, but it takes them a good nine-month lead time at the minimum so it's going to take a good year before they start to crank out more of these books yeah and, and looking at this book i'm i'm just now grasping jason you probably already know how many playable races there are this is not a book for dms this is absolutely not just a book for building the the you know the interesting uh uh campaign this is if you're a player and you want to really stretch your uh muscles that you've never even used before I would say half of these monsters are playable races. I mean, this is this yeah, is kind of twenty-two. Crazy. There's twenty-two That's total amazing. in there. Amazing. Yeah, there's there's something around like out, six, too. They're really there's out like there. Sixty entries. Sorry, there's like sixty entries in the book. So, I mean, obviously some of them have like variants or subtypes or whatever. And then so like out of about sixty entries, twenty-two of them are playable. So I mean, that's a full third of the book. Yeah, and there's some really cool monsters in here. Um, yeah, well, we could talk all you know forever about. Yeah, these, I think we uh, should wrap up. But it, I mean, my final thought was just maybe you guys could just have your final thoughts. I mean, like this book is just for as you said, it's for everyone. It has it has everything you would need in it, and you know sometimes people, you know, especially if you don't have a lot of disposable income. I was talking to some other people this week on the boards, and they were wondering if this book is worth the money. You know, they said they just bought the Starfinder book. They didn't really want to buy another book unless they, they really thought it was worth it. And I said to them, I think it was. I think it's worth however much it is. Like, I don't know, what's it, 50, 60 bucks? Um, 40, 50, you know, 40, 60. I think I, I can't look it up right now. But it's worth it because it's good for everyone. Like, this isn't just a, oh, it's an okay book if you are a player, but it's an excellent book if you're a GM. I, I don't think I've ever read a book quite like this except for the instructions themselves the rules like this book is for everyone everyone heck if you don't even like starfinder this book is awesome it is just great in every way yeah yeah it's uh, uh, yeah i mean i you can kind of like you know split split the cost between your gaming group i mean you know because because everyone gets value out of it i mean obviously the gm's got to do all the heavy lifting of you know incorporating the creatures but i mean hey if you get to run around with a group of an entire group of contemplatives like five guys playing brain in a jar i mean that, that was money well spent right yeah, there I, if you're a real like steve has been i think the theme with all of steve's uh campaigns that he's gm'd is that it's off the beaten path like i've fought and you, you know when you when you've seen skeletons well not skeletons but the 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 usual 
monster in Dungeons and Dragons. You know exactly what that monster is. You know exactly what that, uh, all the themes to all of our campaigns is, you know, every monster is new. Uh, and that's what this whole universe is. Uh, especially these, these, I mean, I, it blows me away that there's this many, like so many of these monsters are actually playable races. I don't see split in this book. I'd want to, I would want to read this cover to cover to make sure that, you know, I am choosing the character that I want in the race that I want, because uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of coolness in this. So, uh, I think the bigger commit is deciding whether you want to play, you know, deciding that you're going to play Starfinder and not at some point go back to Pathfinder. Once you commit to play, if you decided, yes, our gaming group's going to play Path or play Starfinder, I just owe another quarter to the swear jar there. But uh, if you, once you decide you're going to go in on Starfinder, I think this book is essential to have. Yeah, I, I, I love this book. I mean, between the fact that, I think of all their books, when I saw the Starfinder book for the first time, and I have a, I have a deg- degree in design, um, I, I, from a layout point of view and just way they organized it, it is fantastic. The best of the best. They already were a top of class, and this is the best of their class. Except for the spine, and everyone's going to say because the spine keeps breaking, but that wasn't their fault, and they're fixing that. So don't blame Paizo. Blame the printer. In fact, find who the printer is and write them nasty letters because it wasn't Paizo's fault. But other than that, this book is incredible. And yeah, you can. there's just something for everyone. And I'll be honest, I hope they start doing this with their Pathfinder books. Because I... A lot of the Pathfinder books are a little narrow, or they kind of split them up into so many pieces that they're not good. They're, there's just not enough for everyone. This is this is some book. This is uh, this might be one of the best books I've ever seen of this ilk. So I guess with that we'll wrap it up, and uh, guess we'll well whenever it comes out next, it's like Pack Worlds, but that's not till uh, March. So we got a couple of months to wait before we do this again. Yeah, we'll be able to go deeper into a uh, a campaign too. So we'll be able to find out, how, you know, how the game scales. You know, the difference between level one and you know higher levels. Uh, we'll be able to even talk about this with a little bit more uh, uh, air of authority on our on our uh, resumes here. I could neither confirm nor deny that I might jump in front of a laser beam and get Tuttle killed, so I can try the try try one of these new races. So well, maybe oh. maybe I've done that too. Oh, that's that's what ends up happening. I have a TPK, and then all those nice drawings I have of all the characters all get a little RIP in front of them, and then I have to get the artist to spend another two months drawing up your new um, brain in the jars and oozes, and God knows what else you guys want to be. <laughs> Nah, think of poor Cheddar. Poor Cheddar all by himself. So Tuttle, Tuttle's in it for He'll the be long like run. Wally. He'll just be left alone on a planet. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Hey there, once again, this is Steven. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode and our little review. I strongly suggest you get that book soon rather than later because I know for a fact that it's pretty much sold out at Paizo and they're going to have to do a second printing pretty quick. So if you're interested in it, I strongly recommend you get it now. With that, let's get to the podcast giveaway, where every week we're going to randomly select someone who put in a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And for those of you who don't have either of those, I have amended the contest where you can also put in a review on Facebook. That will be accepted as well going forward. So with that, I randomly selected someone. His name is Mighty Root. His real name is David, and he put a nice review on iTunes. 
So again, it's completely random who and what I select. It's just one of the many people. So if you want to be in the contest, just submit your name and email address and your review. And that's it. And then you get into the drawing. Don't worry, we have another pick next week. And we're going to keep picking them for the rest of October and November until we get a grand prize. And if this continues to be so popular, we'll probably keep running even more contests after this. So this is a really long episode, so I'm just going to wrap this up right now, and I will see you guys next week on Roll for Combat. You've been listening to Roll for Combat, a Starfinder actual play podcast. If you have a question or comment for the show, please visit us at RollForCombat.com or drop us a line at contact at RollForCombat.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Discord, and other social media platforms. Listening to Roll for Combat. Until next week, always remember that putting a portable hole inside a handy haversack voids the warranty on both. <laughs>